it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithalday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great writers for ATQ, Badwater. How you doing? I'm doing fine. It is wet in October and uh, it feels like Oregon again. Well, let's talk about some indoor sports then. I understand uh, you went to the basketball um, press conference yesterday. Uh, how'd that go? Anything interesting? Yeah, the... Um the men started out with um, uh, open practice, and it was just kind of a um, a brief thing. They the in, intention was that they had had closed exhibition games in Canada and whatnot, and uh, really haven't had an opportunity for the public, for any of the fans to to see the team in an exhibition kind of environment. So they did an abbreviated open practice and you got a chance to see uh, where the team is at and how they're doing. I mean, they've uh, had a rash of preseason injuries mm-hmm. and there are virtually uh, no players that are uh, entering the season without having had some sort of injury. Uh, over, um, you know, over the summer and, and the fall camp. Um, so they're nursing some of that. Uh, and it was a, a good opportunity to, to see some of the veterans uh, coming back, some of the other people coming into play and, uh, you know, the, the new bodies that they've added. Um, uh, I guess say Will Richardson looked great. Uh, I think uh, 
over the course of the practice, he, um, threw maybe, uh, six or seven threes and only missed one. Hmm. Um, uh, and folly looks good. In fact, there was a, a couple of, um, fast break, uh, deals and I'm sure they do this kind of situation where they wouldn't be doing it normally in a game, but in in an open practice kind of a thing where you're just fast breaking and that kind of stuff. Uh, he did some dribbling. Uh, he was he dribbled down the court to pressure and and threw in a, a jumper. Uh, the second time he got the ball stolen, but you know he's not a point guard. Um, Some uh, Bill launch a, a nice little 15 foot jumper. So, um, so the, the team has some potential, but, uh, Altman will be the first to admit that, um, they are slow to get up to speed just because of the preseason, uh, injury issues and just having enough bodies to practice with. Well, they, they did a, uh, a Q and a, uh, in between those, um, the men's and women's uh, basketball practices, uh, uh, the players did a kind of getting to know you kind of a thing. And then Altman had some remarks. And then they brought the women's basketball team out and the women's uh, basketball squad did the same thing. You know, kind of getting to know you and uh, Graves had some remarks, and then the women did a uh, full practice, full two and a half hour practice, and uh, got a chance to see what exactly is involved with the practices. Um, they they start out with warm ups, and then they get into um, what Graves describes as the vitamins with. Uh, Hmm. Um, drills, you know, ball handling drills, and that kind of stuff. Um, with having uh, basketball dribbling in both hands, and all the players get down to squatting level, and then come back up, and then they start going through different uh, uh, forward uh, ball handling dribbles. Uh, first with uh, well, it, it's with uh, two balls, and they'll, they'll pass the ball back and forth to uh, another player that's backing up in front of them. And then uh, they do um, uh, approaching to the basket and, and shooting type drills. And I got to say, um, when it comes to ball handling skills, uh, all four of the freshmen that we have look really good but especially Chance Gray and Grace Van Sluten. I mean, it, they, they looked outstanding when they, they were doing just that, the basic ball handling stuff. Uh, anything stand out to you uh, in particular beyond those? Um, well, like I said, all, all four of the freshmen are really good. Asai has some good ball handling skills, but I, I don't think she was quite on the level of uh, Gray and Van Sluten. And, you know, uh, Grace Van Sluten, she's the real deal. And she has, uh, she has a, a huge 
uh, all-encompassing package. They, if you looked at the exhibition game, you, you saw that on full display. I mean, it, if she was pressed to, she could be a point guard, or you know, she can be a forward, or she can drive the basket, or she can hit threes. Uh, she's got great ball handling skills, like I said, and uh, um, I don't. I really don't think. Uh, Chance Gray is that far behind. They're they're really uh, neck and neck. You know, they're both five stars, and um, so. But uh, I think as the season moves on, um, we're going to see really good players in uh, Isai and Gray, and the Ducks are going to need it because they're down to ten players. I mean, in the exhibition game, Graves said, yeah, we're using them because they're all going to get time on the floor. We have to use them. Uh, Did you get to see Dahina Pow Pow? I I did. Yeah, and um, she looks good. Um, You know, I was thinking as I was watching the practice that the – the player that was really standing out to me, yeah, I'm now I'm going to segue into the whole uh, point guard uh, issue is uh, Taylor Hansen. Mm-hmm. Um, during practice, she's the most vocal out on the floor. She's giving instructions, communicating to everybody, and I really think that um, initially we're going to see uh, her acting. Um, in a point guard kind of a role, but I think she's going to be doing it in conjunction with uh, Tina Papa, um, because uh, Papa uh, is also um, vocal and communicative, but not the same way as a, a fifth-year senior who knows exactly how to be a court general. Um, and I, I really think that. Pow Pow is going to um, pick up on the example. And um, I'm willing to wager that we see a a different Pow Pow um, as the season rolls on from what we see at the very beginning of the season, what we saw last season. Uh, Hanson's the transfer from Arizona State, right? Yes. Um, Do you think that... uh, you know, it'd be it'd be mighty strange for it to be an entirely new t- team, wouldn't it? You know, like there there's, you know, Graves takes some time to build some relationships with players. Like, do you really think that Hanson has a shot of of knocking Pow Pow out of her spot? No, um, uh, I don't. Uh, I think uh, she's going to be used in conjunction. And you know, it may be that what I'm seeing in practice is kind of a, a practice situation. It's a practice drill, like, um, you know, in Folly, <laughs> taking the ball and, and drilling down to the basket. is not, not something that you'll necessarily see in game, but, um, you know, it's a learning tool for the player and for the players around them. Uh, did Gray's had any interesting remarks? Um, he did. He had some, and um, 
uh, I think I'm going to write up a, a transcription of what the coaches said. Um, the The whole team really is uh, is still kind of uh, broken up over the whole, whole Sedona Prince situation. Yeah, they, I they imagine. Only, they only found out about it. Uh, uh, yeah, they only they knew that it was on the horizon, but um, the determination to go the route of, uh, okay, it's going to have to be surgically repaired. It's going to end the season and the impact on the team really only happened in the days leading up, uh, you know, to that, that first exhibition game. Well, you know, I guess what I, you know, cause there's so much turnover, um, with Gray's team, uh, you know, I guess I'd be, wor- I would be worried a little bit about leadership and, and, you know, I'd be looking to Sedona Prince, you know, because she's so vocal on and off the court, you know, with, you know, women's issues and charitable, uh, works and, and other things like, you know, n- now that she's decided to sit this out and, and, uh, prepare for her, her professional transition, like, you know, I, I imagine that that's probably the thing more than anything else is sort of hanging over this team. Cause it's got the talent. Like that much is obvious. Like it's really clear, you know, all the talent that it's got. And, you know, uh, I, I think the Pow Pow will be a strong leader for this team. It's a nice day, you know, because Hanson, you know, is, is super experienced, right? Like I think she played four seasons at ASU and I don't recall her ever missing a game. Um, you know, but beyond that, like it's, you know, it's a real young team and I have to think that like missing out on, you know, Prince's leadership, you know, is going to be something that sort of hangs over the team, at least, you know, until they really, you know, get started playing and, 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 and people emerge and sort of the team sorts itself out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I think that'll be the case. It, you know, when I was watching them practice, uh, uh, I saw a pretty good mesh of what was going on in you know, in how players were uh, interacting with each other you know, through body language and communication and that kind of stuff. And um, it seemed like a, a team that's taking steps forward toward being a team. And when I was watching this, I was thinking, you know, I, I really would have liked to have been a fly on the wall on uh the last few practices of last season and compare what I'm seeing here to what that fly on the wall might've seen toward the end of last season that caused the, the exodus of all those former five stars. Uh, you know, well, we'll see, uh, you yeah. know, and, and it's not like there's, you know, nobody from, you know, like in, in India Rogers, uh, you know, is with the team as well. And, um, and, yeah, and, and, and she's fantastic, you know, uh, she was she was the spark plug on the exhibition game that got the team going, and um, you know she and Popo have great ball handling skills in in the uh, practice situation as well. Um, it was just that uh, I thought there was uh, a few of the freshmen that uh, looked just about as good. As, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's such a freshman, you know, team, yeah. you know, Kennedy Basham, Chance Gray and and uh, and uh, Asai and Van Sluten, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, it, it, it's entirely possible that Oregon's going to have four freshmen on the floor, um, you know, for for much of the year. 
Um, yep. And so it'll be interesting to watch, you know, that that gel, you know, it's sort of like it's not quite a total reset button for for Graves, um, but like it's close. Um, and last year, you know, had a disappointing conclusion. Like it felt like the team never really came together. Um, and that was with a lot of talent. Uh, yeah. uh, too. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, yeah, I think we're we're seeing a reset button that is not uh, dissimilar to Sabrina's. Uh, freshman year and all the freshmen that were there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we can necessarily expect the same results, but, you know, we saw a huge uh, maturation in, in that team that year from when they started to unexpectedly advancing into the NCAA tournament the way that they did. And we've got some uh, very talented freshmen again this year. Uh, all right. Well, we'll um, uh, we've bas- as basketball starting up. You know, we're going to have you know some basketball coverage. You know, on the site, uh, Adam Holland is uh, going to be writing a profile in the Folly Dante uh, uh, to go up a little later this week. Um, we're uh, you know SP Nation is going to be releasing its top twenty-five list coming soon. We're going to have a contribution to that. Um, you know, and, and contributions from all the sites across the network. Um, I'm looking forward to next week uh, seeing the the write up of all the comments because, as far as I can tell, I think you were the only media person who was there um yeah and uh i I think i I saw some other uh, media people but they were they were off up in the media section i was uh pretty close to the bench oh good rubbing eldos i I love it yeah uh all right so let's take a break uh we come back we'll talk some women's volleyball Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So Badwater, speaking of being the only media person on the floor, uh, you know, the women's volleyball team uh, has had a a bit of a mini resurgence. Um, But, you know, some of these uh, matches uh, have not been televised, uh, or at least some of the ones that are not coming that are coming up. Uh, uh, Oregon women's volleyball is back at home this weekend, right? Yes. Yes. Against the uh, the Washington schools, Washington, Washington State. And uh, if you'll recall, that was our first weekend up in the state of Washington, where we lost um, Hannah Hannah Pukis to injury, and we lost a a couple of five-set matches up there. Yeah, that was tough. Um, you know, the, the the Washington and Washington State swing um, without Hannah Pukas was uh, was real tough. But Oregon uh, gets a chance for revenge uh, here in Eugene. Um, uh, looks like um, oh, it looks like you can stream these games. The uh, the the Friday game against Washington, the Wear Pink game, uh, is going to be on the Oregon live stream, and then the the Wazoo game on Sunday is going to be on Pac twelve Oregon. Um, yes. Uh, which, you know, that if you're a streaming person, which I'm a streaming person, I, I like doing that while I'm working on, uh, on football stuff. Um, 
you know, is great, uh, real high paced, real enjoyable, uh, stuff to watch. And, and you've been covering these, you know, the, the, the ladies in person. Um, uh, what have you seen out of this team, especially with, uh, with Pukas coming back? I know that they, uh, they swept, uh, ASU last Sunday and, um, I think they came close to sweeping Arizona too, right? Yes. Yes, they did. Um, and, uh, you know, her presence, uh, is, it, you know, it can be a, a game changer. Uh, the, the center is the, the quarterback, uh, on the court mm-hmm. and you, you can make the, the quarterback analogy, uh, all you like. If you lose your starter quarterback, um, there's very, very likely to be a drop off. So, uh, I think, um, that's uh, a little bit of the reason why uh, the volleyball team struggled against the Washington schools. They had uh, Elise Ferreira in a setter, and it took her a while to get comfortable. And Oregon is using a, a new scheme this year. They're using a, a 5-1 that um, Ferreira isn't exactly used to and that Pukas does really well with. And uh, I think that uh, if uh, Hannah Pukas is uh, playing against the Washington squads uh, up in Washington, that we win. But I also think that if you have the, the Hannah Pukas that's had two weekends of uh, experience and she she definitely got better in what she was doing. I, I saw uh, fewer um, serving and uh, playmaking mistakes in the uh, in the uh, mountain weekend. Um, you know, I think that if we go back uh, with the experience that we have to that to the first Washington set and we have um, Ferrara there, we still win because you know, she's, she's improved that much. Uh, it is remarkable, you know, especially because like this team, I mean, it's lost some matches, um, but they're, they're always hard fought and, and the ducks have never been swept. They've swept in themselves a bunch of teams, right? You know, they, I think they had three different sweeps uh, in the non-con or four, I think uh, yeah. you know, they swept a number. I think they swept Arizona state twice. They swept number five, Stanford, um, you know, they swept Colorado, uh, right. And like, Man, and then in their losses, you know, like, like I said, no sweeps. Uh, you know, they lost. I think their worst loss was one to three uh, at USC, and I think Pukas was still out uh, for that match. Right? Um, that was that was coming off of the 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 Washington trip. They they had to play like four back to back to back to back. You know, matches A on the road and the B road, yeah. without their setter. Um, yep. And yet they never got swept. Um, they were competitive, you know, against, you know, Washington state and Washington, uh, and they beat UCLA, um, which as I recall is like a decent squad. I don't think they're ranked, but like, um, yeah. So like, you know, this is a real tough team. I think they definitely deserve their ranking. And now that they're sort of back to full strength and they're, you know, more experienced and they're playing at home. They, I mean, look, Washington is ranked number 19. 
just be a real feather in their cap, you know, move up the rankings a little bit um, and, and sort of like prove that the the road games, you know, up in uh, Washington were anomaly. And frankly, they you know, they owe the Huskies an ass kicking uh, on Friday. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And it's not it's not all on the center. There's other aspects of the game that were clicking either that they're doing much better now. Um, serving is one of them for uh, the Washington State and Washington games. The the Ducks were committing 15 service errors to four or five service aces, and um, and that ratio is much closer um, these days. I think they had uh, the last match something like. Uh, uh, eight aces to ten uh, serving errors, we, and that's acceptable. When when you have uh, that many unforced errors, though, um, that can hurt you in close games. And so they they've worked on the overall package, and it's unfair to pin uh, wins and losses solely on the server. There's uh, a lot of other factors that go into this. Is there anything else uh, that you're looking out for uh, this weekend against the Washington schools? Well, um, Washington State blocks really well. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to see uh, what Oregon does um, to, you know, schematically counter against that. Um, and that's going to be something that I'm looking for. I'm going to be looking for you know, how the serving game is going. And um, if we can, uh, if Oregon can keep their their um, hitting percentage up and, you know, out of the, the 220s and that kind of stuff um, and more into the realm of what we saw last weekend, you know, in, in the 300s, um, like I've said in some of my articles, uh, you know, if you're, if your overall um, hitting percentage for the match was 349, you probably didn't lose that match. Yeah. But but if you get down in the 240s, 220s, then you know, you're, you're playing uh, against a close game that you might lose. Uh, well, your articles are fantastic to read. I, I enjoy them tremendously. You, you sprinkle them liberally with uh, Twitter videos um, of play, which are you know just thrilling to watch. Um, and, uh, and and Oregon and, volleyball is really good about that. Yeah, we can thank the Oregon volleyball Twitter feed um, for that. They, uh, um, I include um, uh, Twitter feeds from. Uh, opposing schools, but they don't have nearly the content that Oregon does. So, yeah, I, I tried to present both sides of the coin. Well, there's no substitute for seeing it in person, and, and there's only five home matches uh, left, the Washington schools this week, um, and then they're off to the Mountain schools the next weekend. And the weekend after that, uh, they're back in Eugene against the L.A. schools. Uh, they have a midweeker against uh, Cal uh, in Berkeley, uh, and then come back on uh, Friday the 25th, uh, back in Eugene against Oregon State, the same day that the football team is in Corvallis to play for the Platy uh, to, to wrap up their season. So you only got five matches left and two really good ones. Uh, in fact, I think the only ranked team left on their schedule, Washington, on Friday night, uh, which is the wear pink night, um, should be a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to your coverage of it. 
Uh, all right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk some football. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, do you happen to catch this game against Cal? Uh, not as much as I would have liked. It was still summer in uh, October, and so I was having to run in and out and catch snippets while I was um, working on... Uh, my awful, horrible front deck project. Oh boy! Which is oh, almost done, but yeah, I had to take advantage of the good weather. Well, the Ducks had an awful, horrible uh, couple of possessions to start out the game. Um, you know, they drove the field pretty effectively, but um, you know, a couple of dropped passes, um, one of which you know bounced off of Troy Franklin's hands and landed in the Cal uh, defender's hands sort of miraculously, uh, you know, so it kept, a, you know, Oregon out of the end zone, even though, you know, Cal was not really stopping them um, getting down the field. Um, uh, but then, you know, the, the sort of inevitable asserted itself and, and Oregon cruised pretty effectively. You know, it was yet another game in which they won the middle eight minutes, um, you know, decisively. Um, and, uh, it was also interesting to me as the film reviewer to check out the ways that like, uh, I, I wouldn't say that Cal has an excellent defense. It doesn't, but they stop you from doing certain things. And uh, in particular, explosive rushing, which had really been like the in every other game, sort of like the centerpiece of Oregon's offense. Cal's like, oh, we're going to take that away and we're also going to take away deep shots and then we'll let you have everything else. But I bet you don't have the patience to use those things to go all the way down the field against us. And Oregon was like, yeah, we do. Um, and, and not yeah, only and, and you detail that really well in your film review. Uh, thank you. Um, the, the, but it was really interesting to me and what I actually feel like I, I could have spent like twice as much time on, um, and maybe risked somebody's ire by putting in too many clips. It was like, I, I mean, I could have put the entire Oregon offense <laughs> into my article because it was so fascinating, you know, what they were doing, which was basically like, you know, Cal wants to take away deep shots, but you need to get some explosive passing yards in order to effectively move down the field because nobody scores these days five yards at a time. You know, like if you got to go 75 yards to score, you are not putting together 15 consecutive five yard runs like it's just, you know, <laughs> ridiculous. So what Oregon did was it was a lot of short passing, but then they were set up in a variety of ways. And if you want to know how you, know, you need to read my article is difficult to explain on a podcast without a whiteboard or anything else, but like they were hitting short passes, but then they, they wouldn't just stop at three or five or six yards. They would be set up so that they would be running into empty space and, um, and, and getting, you know, 25, 30 yards, you know, with a receiver or running back who's out ahead of them to block, um, and uh, or they be, you know, manipulating the defense with sequencing to get them to move, you know, out of the way, um, uh, you know, and and part of that, it, you know, with sort of longer developing plays um, where you're getting the defense to back out and then hitting them underneath and then running into the space that was created by the defense backing out is that you got to have great protection 
Um, and like, that's been Oregon's real secret weapon. Although I don't know how secret it is anymore. Um, it's just the offensive lines, just like nobody's, nobody's laying a finger on Bo Nix. Like he gets to wait in the pocket for three or four seconds for plays to develop. Um, and it was pretty useful in this game. And, you know, when they play, you know, teams that have better defenses, I swear there's at least one in the Pac-12, you know, somewhere, <laughs> um, you know, like being able to stand in the pocket and and uh, and, and wait for a play to develop to, to take, a, you know, a deep shot. You know, I was, uh, well, I'm alluding to Utah um, to sort of look ahead a little bit here. Um like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all caught up in my Colorado film. I will be writing an article about that. It'll be posted on Friday as usual. Um, I finished up all that film. Um, I'm caught up on all, all my Washington film, at least the games that they've played. Obviously, they're they're playing actually a pretty good or should be a pretty good game and definitely a useful one from a film study perspective against Oregon State on Friday night. Um, I be watching that game like a hawk because Oregon still got to play both of those teams. And uh, and um, I feel like those are basically like pure programs at this point. Uh, Washington and Oregon State, like their their talent level is that, you know, Washington's talent level sort of fallen off. Oregon State's been sort of like steadily climbing up and Jonathan Smith has not punching above their weight class. So like that should actually be like a good, you know, real you know, duke it out battle. And I'm looking forward um, to that game, but it hasn't been played yet. So I'm caught up in my Washington film. So I'm way ahead. I'm, you know, I'm watching Utah film now. And so, you know, I just finished watching, you know, closely. I know it was played a couple of weeks ago, but like I said, you know, I'm, I'm working on other projects. I just finished watching the USC versus Utah game. And like Utah's got, Utah's got the most legit defense outside of Oregon in the pac 12, um, like far and away. Um, But, like the way that their defense is structured, what was the, the Utah's defense is not as good as it was in 2019. And the primary way that their defense is not as good as it was in 2019 is that the, it is in pass defense because they're not really able to get a pass rush unless they blitz. That was very, very clear when they rushed forward. They, you know, Caleb Williams had all the time in the world to stand in the pocket. And, and what they went to in the second half was they were blitzing on every play, like up to and including blitzing seven guys. Um, and and USC actually didn't respond to that very well. Like they didn't really have a plan for hot routes and stuff like that, um, which was sort of a surprise, you know, or actually not that much of a surprise because I don't really think Lincoln Riley is a great game planner. Um, like it was very clear that they were hitting. They were like their first couple of drives were scripted and they had a bunch of like fun gadget plays. And then by the second half, they just run out of them and they were running like the a pretty vanilla looking offense. Um, and Utah was starting to shut it down because they were just blitzing at them, um, you know, constantly. And Riley didn't really have a good answer for it. Um, and ultimately, you know, the fact that they couldn't score towards the end was why they lost that game um, that and they couldn't stop Dalton Kincaid at all. But anyway, um, what was clear when they were just like playing normal, you know, non-gadget football was that Utah's defensive structure, like in terms of their secondary, um, they don't expect that pocket to last for four seconds and the zone doesn't. So if you're running drag routes from one side of the field to the other side of the field, in other words, if you're leaving one dude's zone to run into some other dude's zone and that dude is being run off by like guys who are originally in his quadrant that like you will be wide open usc hit multiple passes to wide open dudes because the zone coverage rules didn't allow anybody to run with them and so there was just literally no one to cover them and the way that utah thinks that they're going to defend that is oh 
well, that's not going to be a threat unless the quarterback has five seconds in the pocket, and no way is any quarterback going to have five seconds in the pocket against Utah's mighty pass rush. Well, guess what? In 2022, Utah's mighty pass rush you know, was getting stopped dead by USC's offensive line, and you know I don't think very highly of Utah's, or excuse me, USC's offensive line. So I've like the reviews, yeah. <laughs> so, so USC was hitting some wide open deep shots against Utah's defense, um, and in case you were wondering why the hell I've gone on this long tangent, it was because I started thinking about Oregon's offensive line. And boy, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure Oregon's coaching staff watching that Utah versus USC game and seeing Caleb Williams having forever to sit, sit up in the pocket and then hitting wide open shots. Cause the zone defensive structure is not running with defenders. Um, or just licking their chops and thinking like if you see USC's offensive line can do that, like Bo Nix might have 10 minutes, you know, <laughs> to make throws like, yeah. um, well, it's still and- Dillingham. Dillingham still has to come up with the scheme to, uh, take advantage of whatever time he had. It sounds like, you know, against, uh, Cal, he came up with a really ingenious, um, way of addressing the situation and it sounded like it was pretty clever you know based on uh, previous dillingham film elsewhere uh, before the start of the season did you see any indication of this from dillingham uh, when he was oc at other programs well yeah at florida state well at, at memphis he i don't want to say that he had an easy job because i'm not sure i would put it that way but like he had maybe the i'm gosh i'm blanking on his name memphis 2018's running back might have been the best running back in the country in 2018 and if you've got a really phenomenal running back who can do whatever he wants it sort of it really opens up your options do stuff off of that you know or if you can't figure out anything better to do you just hand him the ball or you throw him in the ball i mean to the point where like i'm not joking about this like there were there was at least one game in which i think half of their snaps were wildcat snaps directly to their running back um he's that good um so then at florida state they have it's a general talent upgrade but i don't think the running back was as good you know he, he, he didn't have like a, a one single player that he could just totally rely on um but I did notice a couple, I noticed early that he was good about sequencing, which has been a surprise to me because he's such a young coach. Like, and that's usually, I sort of associate that with like more advanced um, coaches, like, you know, folks who have been around a while and have started to put together, oh, if I do this and then that, but like, he's pretty good at it. Like I tweeted out over the summer or over the winter, I guess, when I was writing up about Kenny Dillingham, um, because the because they were hired in the winter, obviously. Um, like uh, a three-play sequence, it, it was actually three plays over four. I, I skipped one of them uh, in a drive against Miami in which they line up in the same formation th- and run three different plays. And each one, they sort of, it, it's, you know, it's a quarterback power keep, um, you know, for one play. And then it's a pitch toss out of the, the, the quarterback starts to move like he's keeping the ball, like the first play to get the defense moving. And then he pitches back the other way. And now the defense is, is out of the way. And then the third play, he starts to move that way. Then he starts to pitch that way. And now the defense is split in half. And what does he do when the defense splits in half? He throws it at the tight end on the seam down the middle and the defense is nowhere, you know, near it, but it's all out of the same configuration. And they're all like playing off of each other. And I was like, Ooh, 
sequencing out of like a 30 yeah. year old, you know, um, Who yeah, I know. And so like, it's definitely what I've been on the lookout for, um, in his time at Oregon. And like every week, you know, I find something where it's like, Oh, you put that together to get the defense to, to do that. Um, you know, to, to react like, like, def- you know, fighting the last war, so to speak. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been a real treat as a film reviewer. Yes. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it was definitely the case, you know, against Cal that he sort of, that he needed to do it. Like, uh, less clever offenses have found, you know, like there's a reason why Cal, even though they're not a super talented team, like they're, I think they're in the lower third, the lowest third of the talent ratings in the pac 12. Um, but that they usually keep teams to lower than their season average scoring. And it's because of the way that they, you know, use the things. Well, not true of Oregon, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, they're, I think, seventh straight game of scoring 41 plus points. Um, and that, you know, that came down to, to Kenny Dillingham and it came down to having a really good quarterback and it came down to having a really good offensive line and really good skill players. And like, you know, and not just like a good offensive coordinator, but one who doesn't like, he doesn't try to fit a square peg into a round hole, you know, like he's like, Oh, you want to take that away from me? Well, but you'll let me do this other thing. Well, then I'll do that other thing. And, and actually I'll do it better than you think I'm going to do it. Um, you know, like it's not, it's not one of these like, Oh, you want to stop me from doing this? Well, I need to impose my will on you to show you that you can't stop me from doing the thing that I want to do, you know, which, you know, maybe certain other coaching staffs might have been more tempted to do. Like, nah, he's like, no, I'll just out clever you, you know? Yeah. And Oregon seems to be uh, uh, attending to the big picture. You know, it may have been that Chris Ball couldn't because um, he was. Uh, he was dugly in pursuit of what he wanted to do and uh, didn't really have the leads um, to use backups. But it, it seems to me like uh, Cristobal w- wasn't comfortable with uh, rotating in backups anyway. Um, it seems to me like uh, Oregon has uh, a number, that they, a cushion that where they want to be in the third and fourth quarters. And they, if they've established that cushion, then it, it's garbage time. And well, we're going to give as uh, many um, less developed players, some real game time as we can. Yeah. And yeah, that, that causes the other team to seem like they're um, catching back up and could win, but that's really not what I've seen. And I've really liked how Oregon, is uh developing their you know uh second and third lines yeah it's been interesting you know i've got a pretty good relationship with a lot of the cal writers um and uh i it it was funny they sort of you know so so cal uh so i I defined garbage time as starting you know when bo nix gets the the touchdown to make the score 35 to 10 and one of the reasons why it's very clear that that's the final play of meaningful play is that when Cal gets the ball back after the ensuing kickoff, they put in their backup quarterback, Kai Milner, who then leads two touchdown drives. And the Cal writers were asking me, um, 
hey, we're not as familiar with Oregon's defense. Can you tell me what, you know, were, were those the backups or how deep were the backups or, you know, who was he playing against? And, I, you know, I was able to answer their question um, that, well, essentially he's playing against Oregon's developmental squad. Um, and, and that, you know, that's basically how, how they do it. You know, like they, they you know, they, they, they can't do it on the defensive line because they need everybody playing on the defensive line. But for the rest of the team, the the inside linebackers and the secondary on the defense, like, yeah, there's definitely clearly a developmental squad for Oregon. And there's a point where they just put him in. And, yeah, they give us some points. Um, but, like, take your lumps now. This is great. You know, it's absolutely great that they're getting, you know, that experience. Um and, uh, you know, against teams that are trying their hardest in real life competitive games at the power five level, uh, on the road in bizarrely hot conditions. Like I think it was, it was warmer in Berkeley than they were expecting it to be, um, yeah. in October in the Bay area. Um, well, Oregon yeah. set a, a heat record for October. Yeah. So. I mean, <laughs> I experienced it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I agree that stuff is good to see. Um, and, uh, and uh, and the other thing that was interesting about this game is that I got to see um, you know some some new running formations that Oregon was trying out or new blocking formations anyway or you know blocking schemes uh, in the run game which like some of them didn't work and I tried to detail a couple of those in my article um, but like I you know this was their eighth game and they're trying out new stuff you know like. And they've got another game coming up against Colorado, which may be another good opportunity to try out, you know, some new stuff like the schedule set up pretty well so that Oregon has, you know, their three, you know, their three tough games. If we're going to, you know, count Oregon State um, to finish up the the regular uh, season, you know, uh, first of all, two of them are at home, you know, Washington, Utah, um, but they have like a couple of road games against teams that are not you know, so much of a challenge, uh, in which they can, you know, still be sort of trying out different personnel, um, different, uh, um, you know, blocking schemes and, uh, and, you know, I sort of expect to see some new stuff against Colorado as well this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Get ready for end of the season crunch time. Yeah. Right. Where it counts for all the marbles. Colorado has been an interesting team to study. Um, they're, uh, you know, they fired their coach, um, they have been going through three different quarterbacks. Um, they have changed up their defensive scheme, uh, somewhat. They're not really giving up explosive runs anymore. Um, and in that sense, sort of resemble Cal, you know, where like their a number one thing now is to stop explosive runs. So like, I don't know, you might see a sort of similar strategy that Oregon pursues, um, pursued against Cal. You might see that repeated against Colorado, um, or hell it could be that they break explosive runs against Colorado anyway. Like that wouldn't surprise me either. Um, if that turns out to be the case, um, there, did you see what, I think there was a a tweet or something about, about, um, I don't know if it was a fan tweet or um, um, something related to the. To oh, the, Jared, uh, Jared Christian Lichtenhan? Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, about, he's yeah, a he's one of their he's a rotational left tackle for them. Who's like, oh yeah, we can attack uh, the interior of Oregon's defensive line. They're not that good, or you know, maybe something like that. And I'm like, no, yeah. you're not, uh, <laughs> and definitely not you, buddy. You're you you grayed out on my tally sheet pretty poorly. Um, and you've been rotating with a different left tackle for a reason. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's uh, I don't know why you would say such a thing. Um, it's it's both false and a bad idea. Um, and he's the worst possible messenger. Like Oregon's going to kick that dude's butt. Um, he's, he's too, it's, this is going to sound weird to say he's too tall for the position. He's six ten, And, uh, if he plays it is it, like, it, it, and so he like his natural weight is about 30 pounds heavier than he is. And he needs to play under that. Cause he'd be too slow. Um, and so like his center of gravity is all wrong and he gets knocked on his ass a lot. Like, and I, I don't mean that figuratively. I mean that literally. Um, yeah. oh, well, I guess I also mean it figuratively. Um, that's crazy I, to be too tall though. It's, I know, but he's six ten. Like it's, it's yeah. true. Um, and, uh, I, I don't know, like the interior of Colorado's offensive line is, it's really hot and cold. Like there are some plays where they look really good. Um, and there are other plays where they look just totally terrible, but the tackles always look terrible. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then on top of that, their quarterback, I mean, their quarterback situation has been crazy. They've been rotating three, three different guys. Um, and one of them now is transferred out of the team. And so it's between like this dude who has like all the arm strength in the world, but is super inaccurate. Um, and then this other guy who's a true freshman who is actually better in every statistical category, but they're probably, he's probably done. He's played four games. They're probably going to redshirt him for the rest of the season because the rest of their season is just bonkers hard. I'm not here. Here's what the rest of Colorado season is. It's Oregon, USC, Washington, Utah. Um, <laughs> it's just like, sorry guys. Do we see a win there? Mm, uh, I don't think so. They, I don't know, man. They, they might be Washington. Um, <laughs> Washington might be just bad. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, Colorado is going to, they're probably going to try to run the ball. They're probably going to try to like establish the run and, and sort of, you know, uh, play ball control. Um, they're definitely a better rushing offense than a passing offense, or at least a more reliable rushing offense than a passing offense. Um, and I, this was, you know, I was talking to Jack Barsh literally before we started recording the, the, our, our writer for our sister site, Ralphie report. Uh, I love talking to Jack. He's really funny. Um, and uh, we, both of us think that Colorado's cornerbacks might be secretly pretty good. Um, it's just that they never get tested because they're the, the defensive scheme, especially the one that they're running after the buy when they fired their defensive coordinator and switched Gerald Chapman, like they really back out the DBs and, and force the inside linebackers to defend the middle of the field. And their inside linebackers are terrible at doing that. And so every single team has either run right at them um, and gotten efficiency runs or thrown at the inside linebackers in the middle of the field. And they just like, don't even bother to throw against the cornerbacks. So maybe the cornerbacks are not good. It's just like, why bother, you know, kind of deal. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, you know, honestly, you know, Oregon's offense is probably going to have anything that they want with the possible exception of explosive rushing, rushing, um, against this defense. And so it's probably behooves Colorado to try to play ball control and, uh, and, and run the ball and try to run down the clock and make it a low possession game against Oregon. But like, that's Oregon's game too, you know, like, yeah. um, yeah, good luck. 
Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying Oregon's on upset alert or anything, but I, I would say that like Colorado has a couple of interesting tools. They're probably a little better of a team than you think they are. They had, um, they just like a bonkers non-conference schedule. They played, they played maybe the hardest non-conference schedule in the country. Let me list it for you. It was TCU, like playoff bound TCU. Um, at which the game was six to seven at halftime, by the way. Um, wow. They played at Air Force, um, which is probably going to win the Mountain West in like in crazy weather. Like it was this like, like this gloomy, misty weather where they everybody kept fumbling the ball. I think there were nine combined fumbles in that game. Both teams had a, a fumble on the goal line, like literally like on the one yard line. Like it was like the bizarre like HP Lovecraft kind of game. Um, I, I love football in bad weather. That's what that's what football is for. And then they played at Minnesota. Um, and then their their conference opener was UCLA. And UCLA ran all over them. Um, and then they fired their coach. Uh, and, and they've had to go up against, you know, like Oregon State, you know. and, uh, and But they beat Cal. And they played Arizona okay, or excuse me, Arizona State uh, okay last weekend. Um, you know, that, that wound up being a one-score game at the end. Um, you know, I... You know, I feel like, you know, in between all the quarterback changes and the coaching changes and the super hard non-conference and a bunch of like bad balls bouncing against them, like, yes, it's a one in seven team. I feel like if they had like a normal season, it would be more like closer to like a three and five or maybe even four and four team. Like if they had like a couple of cupcake, you know, opponents, um, but they don't, you know, like they don't they don't play Stanford. You know, they don't. Um, who's the other team from the north that they miss? Uh, Wazoo. Stanford and Wazoo would probably be win. You know, th- those are potentially winnable games. You know, and they didn't have an FCS opponent. And they didn't have an easy G five opponent. Like, there's a normal schedule or a, t- a schedule that had the the four teams that I just mentioned. Like, there's a good chance they win like two of those games, and they'd be sitting on like a three and five record, and people wouldn't be treating them like a joke. Because I don't think this is really a joke team. I don't think it's a great team or anything. I'm not. Again, I'm not really saying Oregon's on upset alert. But the idea that like, oh, this is just a you know a total laugher of a team um and uh, and Oregon doesn't have you know we'll we'll just have whatever they want against them like I don't really think that's true or like for any fans who are like this team Oregon should be up 28 to 0 within five minutes of this Colorado team and if they're not I'm gonna you know light my hair on fire like uh, come on you know they're they're not that bad um and uh uh yeah man you just like you know especially just, if as you say that it starts becoming a, a ball control battle yeah and the other thing is their fans have totally showed up you know like yeah. they're this is you know it's a it, it was an zero and five team when they played cal like not the most thrilling opponent in the world but the, it was a whiteout in which every you know and a sellout you know yeah. and they that was I, I saw that that was just completely crazy to me and they so, sold they they sold out their game against uh, last week against Arizona State too, and you know this game's going to be at Folsom the the one the the Oregon game on Saturday. So like yeah, their fans are behind them, um, which like I I don't know why you know the team's not giving them a lot to root for, but like they are they're showing up. So like yeah, yeah I mean if Oregon I, again I'm not saying Oregon's any chance of losing <laughs> this game, but like you say that too much more, you're going to start. Uh, putting yeah, the know. listeners in panic mode. 
But <laughs> but I guess I I you know as somebody who has to look every week at the comment section in the ATQ game threads where people are just ready to you know chop their furniture into splinters you know over any incomplete pass or whatever. Um, you know, oh, the opponent got a first down. That's it. You know, shut it down. Shut the season down. I hate Oregon now. I've thrown my pants out the window. You know, like if the if you're looking at a one and seven Colorado team and thinking like this should be twenty eight to zero with ten minutes uh, left in the first quarter and it's not, and so therefore, you know, I'm I'm gonna plot like you know, come on, man. Like I'm telling you, like Colorado's a little better team than that. You know, um, mm-hmm. so. So yeah, I mean, it should be a game for a little bit, anyway. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to your preview for sure. Um, all right, I think it's going to do it for us this week. Uh, you got any uh, parting words of wisdom for us, Badwater? Uh, no, I'm not a sage, so uh, I'll just go with go ducks. Go ducks. <laughs> uh, all right, thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll catch you on the flip side.